0: Welcome back to another episode. Guys, it is a beautiful day today, and I am so excited uh, because we are going to Great Adventure as a family. We got season tickets last year and had so much fun that we decided to do it again this year, and so I am taping this episode early in the morning and uh, we're going to head out shortly after. So really looking forward to that. I hope you're having a fantastic summer. Uh, we're Actually, this has been a lot of fun so far this year for us. Usually the summer kind of drags on a little bit, but it is flying by. I did something for the first time, something I've never done before, just uh, maybe a couple weeks ago, maybe closer to a month ago. Uh, but I had a makeup lesson. Now for any of you that have read my book, you know that I don't do makeup uh, or never did makeup. I can say that as past tense now and really uh, is for no good reason except that I don't like washing my face at night. I absolutely hate it when I wash my face and the water runs down my arms and then gets me all wet, gets my sleeves wet and I hate that. Please tell me that there are other people out there that hate that as much as I do. And so when you hate washing your face because of the water, getting you all you know, down your arms and getting everything wet, you just learn to not put makeup on because you figure, well, if I don't put makeup on, then I don't need to wash my face which according to my friends is false. (laughs) They said I have to wash my face because I was alive that day. And so um, I never really learned how to do makeup, not to do it well. And one of my clients is a, a makeup artist and offered me an opportunity to check it out. So she did half my face. She would teach me what to do with the one half and then I would practice on the other half and I am happy to say at 43 years old I am now wearing makeup and I'm not wearing makeup that I still have from high school because I may or may not have been doing that too. (laughs) On the small chance that I would wear makeup I would just use the stuff I already had so I am finally an adult. I am buying good big girl makeup. I am putting it on when I go to work and it's actually kind of fun so anyway, that is my new adventure this summer is wearing makeup. And I just thought I would share that with you in case any of you um, want to, you know, have that experience, reach out to me and I will get you in touch with my girl. So speaking of makeup and aging, because that is one thing I learned, I can't wear makeup the same way that I was wearing it in my 20s. I guess, apparently, you know, you get older, there's more lines and wrinkles. This is something else I learned. Your face uh, is a reflection of how you took care of your skin one decade ago. Well, we all know I wasn't washing my face or moisturizing or not doing any of that stuff. So now, a decade later, uh, I'm starting to get more fine lines and wrinkles. I can admit it. And, you know... It's part of aging, and aging sucks sometimes, right? Uh, And speaking of aging, we're actually going to be speaking about sodium today. I have a lot of clients in my office right now struggling with high blood pressure, and we all know that high blood pressure is the leading cause of heart attack and stroke. So unfortunately, if you are aging like I am, we need to start having conversations about sodium. You know, for so many of us, we've always learned, well, I shouldn't say for so many of us, for us in the nutrition world, we've always learned that 2,300 milligrams of sodium is the recommendation per day, which is about equivalent to a teaspoon. But if you are of African-American descent, if you have a history of high blood pressure or you are middle age, which middle age is between 40 and 60, then the recommendations change. They lower to 1,500 milligrams a day. 1,500 milligrams a day is not a lot. And I will tell you this. Most of the sodium that you are consuming is not from your salt shaker. In fact, 75% of of the sodium that you consume is from the foods you're selecting at the grocery store. So you can argue with me and say, but Adrian, I don't use the salt shaker. I don't salt my foods. And I would argue back, it's probably not the biggest part of your diet. It's not the biggest contributor of sodium in your diet. So I figure, you know, I'm just kind of jumping in with all these stats, but you know, let's analyze your diet. Let's look at what you're eating. Let's look at the recommendations and let's go through it today because I want you to feel really confident that you are making the best decisions for you and your diet. So when I talk about blood pressure, right, it's, you know, something that again, as we age, it's something we have to be more concerned about. For a lot of us, we're dealing with a ton of stress, And I can't necessarily take that stress from you, but I can put you in a better position blood pressure wise by helping you monitor the sodium so that your diet is not also a contributor of heart disease, right? I told you that blood pressure is the leading cause of heart attack and stroke. And a lot of that has to do with inflammation in our bodies. Uh, I like to I always like to tell a story about inflammation and, and to describe it. And I believe I've done this on a previous episode, but it's worth repeating. Uh, there's two different types of inflammation in your body. There is acute inflammation, and then there's chronic inflammation. Acute inflammation is a one-off injury. So let's use the example that you hit your thumb with a hammer. Right? You hit your thumb with a hammer. It's a one-off injury. Of course, your thumb hurts. It might swell up. It's probably red. It's painful. It's hard to bend because of all the swelling. But because our bodies are amazing creatures, know, we're not creatures, beings, um, because our bodies are amazing, we are designed to heal ourselves. And so we can hit our thumbs with that hammer, but In a couple of days, the redness, the swelling, it's going to go away and we'll get full restoration and function back into our thumb. All right. But let's change the story a little bit. Let's say that you hit your thumb with a hammer three times a day, one in the morning, one midday, and one in the evening. And your thumb's going to swell and it's going to be painful. It's going to throb, right? you're going to be in so much pain, so much swelling. You're going to go to the doctor and you're going to be like, doctor, doctor, look at my thumb. And my, the doctor is going to be like, wow, wow, look how swollen it is. Let's prescribe you some anti-inflammatories and try to reduce that swelling so you can bend your thumb again. And then you're going to tell the doctor, but the pain, the pain, I can't sleep at night. It just throbs all night long. I can't do anything except think about the pain. And the doctor's going to prescribe you some pain medication. And you and I both know that those two medications will be helpful. But if you continue to hit your thumb with a hammer three times a day, we're not getting to the root of the problem. We're putting a Band-Aid over it. You might get temporary relief, but the minute you hit your thumb again, we're going to start the process all over again. And for a lot of us, our diets represent the hammer. We're eating a lot of processed foods. We're eating a lot of packaged foods. We're eating a lot of convenience foods. We're eating out a lot, one, two, three times a day. And every time we do that, we injure our body, especially if we're eating foods that aren't healthy for ourselves, right? I remember I had a lady one time, oh gosh, this was years ago. And I asked her how often she eats out. And she said, oh goodness, oh, hardly ever, maybe once a week. I was like, okay, great. And so we continue with the initial questionnaire and I get to the part where it says, all right, why don't you walk me through the day? Tell me what you ate today. And she said, all right, this morning I went to Dunkin' Donuts and got a, um, I don't know what she got, a sandwich of some sort and a coffee. And she's like, and then at lunch, you know, I ran to Wawa and got a sandwich um, and, and then dinner tonight, whatever she had. And I said, oh, okay. So you actually went out twice today. You went out to eat twice. And she's like, no, I didn't. She said, I only went to Dunkin' Donuts and Wawa. And I was like, well, yes, you did. <laughs> if you didn't make the food in your home, that's called going out to eat. And she looked at me and she was dead serious. And she's like, are you kidding me? She's like, you consider going out? Wawa is considered going out to eat. I was like, yes. Oh, my gosh. Well, then I go out to eat so much more than once a week. We, we think that, you know, those little convenience foods don't count because we didn't sit down at a restaurant and was served by another human being. <laughs> but I am here to tell you, it all counts. So if you stop at Wawa every morning before work and grab a breakfast sandwich And a coffee that's called going out to eat, and for a lot of us, it is much, much more than once a week. For a lot of us, it's at least once a day, sometimes even more. All right, and so going back to our original example, if we continue to hit, I'm putting hit in air quotes, hit our thumbs with hammers, you know, hit our diets. With high sodium foods or even high fat foods, high sugar foods, eventually over time, it's going to cause injury to our organs. All right. And so what we want to do is we need to stop hitting our our thumbs. We need to clean things up. You know, we can take medication and there are opportunities. Absolutely. There are moments when medication is necessary and it's helpful and it's what keeps us alive. But there is also the part that we can contribute. There's the part that we can do on our own to minimize those medications in certain situations or eliminate because we don't keep injuring ourselves by our choices. All right. So today, let's talk about what that looks like. The average person is consuming roughly 3,400 milligrams of sodium a day. I told you if you are between the ages of 0 and 40, 2,300 milligrams is your target. If you are between the ages of 40 and above, 1,500 milligrams is your target. Now, guys, when we go out to eat, we know foods that are high in sodium. We know the foods that aren't good for us. I actually did a quick online search of what are some of the the highest sodium foods. Uh, I think it... Texas Roadhouse, the cactus blossom, right, that deep fried onions, not only is it extremely high in calories and saturated fat, but there are 5,260 milligrams of sodium in that appetizer. If you are middle age, you fall into that 1500 milligram. I mean, this is Almost four times the amount of sodium you're supposed to have in your entire day. And that is in one appetizer. Uh, Applebee's, the neighborhood nachos, is 4,980 milligrams of sodium. Uh, Cheesecake Factory Burrito is 4,250 milligrams of sodium. Uh, The Chili's Buffalo Chicken Ranch Sandwich is 4,260 milligrams of sodium. A 12-inch Italian hoagie is almost 4,000 milligrams of sodium, right? Again, if you eat out often, you are taking in a ton of sodium, unless you're making different choices. But for a lot of us, when we eat out, it's a treat. It's something that we want to do. It's something special. So we tend to grab higher salt, higher calorie, higher fat foods, And then we wonder why our blood pressure is getting high. All right. So again, just to review, because I know there's a lot of numbers floating around here, and I want to make sure I'm being clear. The recommendations for sodium are 2,300 milligrams a day, which is about a teaspoon, unless you are over 40, are African-American descent, or have a history of high blood pressure. Then those recommendations go down to 1,500 milligrams a day. Again, 75% of your sodium intake comes from processed food and dining out, not the salt shaker. So I want to give you some good news, all right? And we're going to go through the high sodium foods, low sodium foods. But the good news is salt is actually a learned flavor, which means if you can learn it, you can unlearn it. That process is going to take a little bit of time. It takes about six to eight weeks to, you know, fully get that flavor and taste affinity out of your system, but it can be done. And when you start to reduce the sodium in your diet, your tongue can pick up on that flavor a lot more readily. It's much more sensitive to the point where you'll eat foods and you'll be like, oh my goodness, I could never eat that, it's so salty, where at one time you didn't even notice there was salt in it, all right? So we don't need to quit this cold turkey. We can back our way out of it and in doing so, become more sensitive to the flavor and be able to detect it more easily and readily and consume less. Now there is a diet out there for high blood pressure called the DASH diet, dietary approaches to stop hypertension. And in that diet, you will notice that all of it is basically fruits and vegetables. Why? Well, not only are they good for us and our heart health, but fruits and vegetables are typically the lowest sodium foods out there. So much, in fact, that the DASH diet recommends 9 to 11 servings of produce a day. For some of you, you are struggling to get 9 to 11 servings a week. (laughs) So, you know, we start where you're at. Just track for the next couple days and see how many servings of produce. Vegetables, it's pretty easy across the board. One cup raw or a half a cup cooked would be considered a serving. But fruits, they vary uh, just because of their sugar content. So just on average, figure three-quarter cup is a serving of fruit. So count. How many servings of produce do you get in your day? Summer, definitely a much easier time because they're so much more accessible. Uh, Just the time it's in season. So take advantage. Try to choose more produce in your diet and see how it affects your blood pressure. Whenever I'm looking at a nutrition label, I try as a general rule of thumb to look for products less than 250 milligrams of sodium per serving that's just a good general rule of thumb for an everyday food Uh, anything over 400 milligrams would be considered high all right so go in your kitchen you know depending where you're listening to this uh, but when you're ready go to your kitchen start pulling foods out of your pantry out of your refrigerator start looking at labels you know the first step in any change is awareness starting to pay attention to what foods do, you know, what, what is the sodium content in the foods that I already have in my home? Before you try to go out and conquer the grocery store and buy every low-sodium product you can find, first become aware of the amount of sodium in the products that you already have in your home. All right. Now I will go through some of these foods, like what are the highest sodium and what are your better options? Um, Typically highest sodium foods are any of your smoked, cured, salted, or canned meats. So think bacon, ham, sausage, lunch meat, hot dogs, uh, sardines and anchovies even fall into that category. Any of your canned entrees like ravioli or chili soups, they tend to be really high in salt. Buttermilk, can be high. Obviously cheese, which is so disappointing to me because I love cheese so much. Uh, Your quick breads, like self-rising flours, things that are in biscuits, pancakes, and waffle mixes, they are also very high in sodium. Croutons, um, some of your boxed potatoes and rice and pastas and stuffings. Uh, A lot of times they'll have what they call seasoning packets in with those rice or pasta Uh, dishes, I want you to just think salt lick. (laughs) You can use the convenience of the packaged rice and packaged um, pasta dishes. Just don't use the seasoning packet. And that's a way you can get away with using a convenience food, but not get all the sodium. Uh, Some of your packaged hash browns, tater tots, salad dressings, instant puddings, condiments, spaghetti sauce, these foods have a ton of sodium in them. And when you can find lower sodium varieties, you absolutely want to take advantage of that. All right. So we've all heard of things like avoid canned foods and frozen foods and lunch meats and cheese. And yes, those are all very good tips. Uh, Some of your frozen vegetables are actually okay. If they are not packed in sauces or gravies or cheeses or any of that stuff, and it's just actual broccoli in that bag of frozen broccoli you've got, you can eat it. All right. A lot of canned uh, produce at this point, um, I will, more so vegetables, your canned vegetables. You can buy lower sodium varieties. You can throw that vegetable in a colander. You can drain it rinse it off, do all the things, and you can lower the sodium and reduce it by a third or up to two thirds even just by rinsing it off and throwing it through a colander. All right. So I'm not here to say you only can buy fresh produce. It's the only way. No, there are options. All right. Not everybody can afford fresh produce all the time. I use canned varieties sometimes. I use frozen varieties sometimes as well. I just make sure I rinse them off really well. Same thing with your beans. I love canned beans. They are just so easy and so versatile. Um, I don't really want to soak them overnight and cook them. That just feels like a lot of work when canned beans are all ready to go. I just make sure I throw them in a colander. I rinse them off. I get all that um, I'll call it sludge off of it. That's where all the sodium is. And then I'll use the beans in a recipe. Same thing with canned soups. You can even rinse them off, throw them through a colander and then just add water and reheat. There's so much salt in the food part of this, of the soup that it can flavor and season the soup just fine. They also have, um, low sodium and even no salt broth now that you can add to canned soups for convenience if you want to reduce the sodium even more all right so i just want you to try some of these tips Um, there's a lot of times we don't need to even add salt to our cooking baking is a little bit different because a lot of times you're activating um, some of the ingredients so that the product rises But, you know, even when you're making pasta, most recipes will call for you to salt the water first. You don't need to. In fact, in a lot of recipes, there's so many other flavors going on or even other ingredients that have salt in it. You don't need to add salt to your recipe. Season at the end of the meal. Don't season during the cooking process. You may not even need it, you find. All right. Make sure you try your food before salting. I know that can be a struggle because we're just so used to putting salt and pepper on everything before we eat it. Actually try your food and see if it even needs to be there. These are just some, some good examples of tips on how you can reduce the salt in your diet. All right, so before we end, I wanna just go through a couple more things. Uh, Let's talk about the different types of salt, all right? Because I get this question a lot too. What type of salt should I use? Like regular table salt, uh, sea salt, uh, Himalayan pink salt, kosher salt, what is the best one? Well, if we're talking about actual sodium, which is what affects your blood pressure, sea salt is actually gonna be the least amount of sodium per volume. So uh, where I told you 2,300 milligrams is roughly a teaspoon of salt. Uh, Sea salt only has about 1,500 milligrams per teaspoon. Um, Sea salt's actually made by evaporating seawater. Depending on where it's harvested will determine how many trace minerals are in it like potassium, iron, and zinc. Uh, Typically, the darker the sea salt, the higher concentration of impurities and trace nutrients. But sometimes those impurities can also be pollution from oceans. So um, definitely something to consider. Uh, I'm fine with using sea salt. I think it, it tastes great. Like I said, it's the least amount of sodium out of all of them. So if that's something that you enjoy, definitely check it out. Your regular table salt is about, like I said, 2,300 milligrams per teaspoon. It's usually highly refined. It's heavily ground. uh, But most of those impurities and trace minerals are removed. The problem with um, heavily grinding a salt is it can clump together. So, excuse me, you'll mostly find that some of your regular salts have anti-caking agents added to it so that it pours and flows easily. The thing with regular table salt is iodine is usually added to it. Um, we have found that when we, uh, add iodine to our diets, uh, there is less uh, chance of a goiter. Um, iron deficiency can cause hypothyroidism, mental retardation, and other various health problems. So, uh, public health initiative was to add iodine to salt because it was a mineral that so many people used and because we started doing that we noticed those ailments decreasing which is a good thing so if you choose not to use regular table salt regular refined salt uh, just know that iodine may not be in the product you're you're um, consuming And you want to make sure that you're getting iodine in other areas of your diet. So things like fish, dairy, eggs, and seaweed. All right. In terms of the Himalayan pink salt, um, it's harvested in Pakistan. It contains trace amounts of iron oxide, which gives it that rust or pink color. Uh, Pink Himalayan pink salt does contain trace amounts of calcium, iron, potassium, and magnesium. Uh, slightly lower amounts of sodium, only 2,100 milligrams of sodium versus the 2,300 in the regular salt. And um, it gives a nice color to your food. So if that's something you want to try and enjoy, go for it. The last type of salt is kosher salt. And it's called kosher because of the Jewish religion. And the biggest thing with kosher salt is it's a very large coarse flake. Chefs like to use it because it's easier to pick up. Uh, I personally really enjoy kosher salt because I find I can use less. I don't have to use quite as much in um, if I'm doing any cooking with it because of the large flake size, you actually don't need to use as much because it's a big flavor burst on your tongue. Um, It's less likely to contain anti-caking agents, but it's also less likely to contain iodine. So again, if you are choosing one of these alternative salts make sure that you're getting iodine in your diet elsewhere now i went through the recommendations for how much salt you need in your diet for health Uh, we talked about what are the highest sodium foods we talked about what are some tips to lower your sodium but the tip that i wanted to leave for the end was my favorite tip, which is season your food with herbs and spices instead of salt. All right. Now you guys know how much I love gardening. Uh, We have a huge garden at our house. I do keep my herbs and spices by the house. Our garden is probably, I don't know, 50 yards away from the house. Um, But our herbs and spices, I keep right around our property because I want them to be easily accessible for when I'm cooking. So, when we talk about herbs, we're talking about things like basil and chives and cilantro, dill, oregano, mint, parsley, rosemary, sage, tarragon, thyme. All these bring so much flavor to your food and are a great alternative to salt. When we're talking about spices, we're talking about things like cinnamon and cloves and nutmeg and paprika and bay leaves and cumin and garlic powder, ginger, rosemary, turmeric. These are all fantastic spices that can bring and infuse so much flavor, so much that you don't even recognize that you're missing the salt. Now for our clients at Body Metrics, we actually give them handouts and show them, you know, what type of herb to use when, like what to pair it with, what proteins to pair it with, what dishes to use it with, what to um, spice blends work well together, and even how to store it. So if you are looking for more information on how to make your food more flavorful and how to cook with herbs and spices versus um, salt, then please give us a call. Go to bodymetricshealth.com and we will be happy to give you all of our resources on how to to cook with herbs and spices and eat less sodium. Um, how to store spices and how to store herbs, right? That's another thing uh, because we want to make sure we prolong the life of them if you are not taking your herbs and spices out of your own personal garden. So these are just things that uh, we can absolutely help you with. I know I gave you a ton of information today to start you on your path. Um, But again, we are here as a resource and we would love to help you if you need more. All right, guys, that is your lesson on sodium today. I hope you found that really helpful. Your recipe today is a green herb salad dressing. All right. So again, we've talked about herbs and spices and why they are a great alternative to salt. So it makes sense that we pick a high sodium food like salad dressing, and I teach you how to make it healthier. All right, so for this recipe, you're going to need one cup of parsley, and you can pack that in there, a half a cup of mixed fresh herbs. So you choose what you like. Think coriander, thyme, basil, mint, sage, whatever your personal preference is, and pack that in that half cup. You're going to need three quarter cup of olive oil, two tablespoons of apple cider vinegar or lemon juice two tablespoons of honey, or alternatively, you could use maple syrup, and two teaspoons of Dijon mustard. And what you're going to do is combine all those ingredients in a um, tall container. Uh, You can either use an immersion blender and blend it till it's smooth, or alternatively, you can um, just throw everything into a blender and blend it that way. All right and you're gonna store that in an airtight jar in the fridge for up to two weeks. The herbs are gonna to settle to the bottom as it sits, so just make sure you shake it up again before you serve. All right, uh, also note that when the dressing has been stored in the fridge for a while, it may thicken. Uh, I noticed that for all my homemade dressings, which I personally like the thicker dressing at times. Uh, but if you would like to thin it out, just let it set on your counter for a couple minutes until it comes to room temperature and then it'll thin out. All right, so that is your green herb salad dressing. I hope you enjoy it and I hope you found this episode really helpful. Guys, as always, thanks so much for tuning in and I can't wait to see you again next week. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Nourish Eat Repeat podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please rate, review, and share with others so we can reach and help more people. For more information about nutrition, how to work with a dietitian, or about any of our programs, visit our website at BodyMetricsHealth.com. You can also find us on socials. We're on Instagram and Facebook at BodyMetricsHealth. The book, Nourish, Eat, Repeat is available on our website and Amazon in both paperback and ebook versions. Once again, I'm Adrienne Delgado, and I'll see you next week.